Today's interview is made possible by the VIEW Conference, the biggest computer graphics conference in Italy. For more information about the conference and to purchase tickets, please visit our website, viewconference.it. This year's dates are from the 17th to the 22nd of October here in beautiful Turin, Italy. We hope to see you next October. Hi, everybody. My name is Marilena Gutierrez. I am the director of the VIEW conference here in Italy. Dan, thank you for being here. Thanks for this interview. What brought you into the animation industry? I grew up loving to draw, I think, like uh, a lot of kids. And I loved telling stories and that type of thing. So I think uh, just that interest in art. Um, and then animation was so fascinating as a kid. It's one of those rare art forms where you do a bunch of work, do a bunch of drawings, do a bunch of, you know, uh, whatever the work is. and then the the art then performs for you you get to see what you did and that was such a cool thing I, I was always fascinated by it who are the people that have inspired your work the most I'm lucky to have had a lot of mentors in my life growing up um, my mom being number one she's a creative uh, writer and uh, uh, wrote poetry and told great stories um, I was in a program called the Big Brother, Big Sister program for kids who are missing a parent. And so Mike Golden was a um, uh, someone that was my big brother in this program. And he knew a lot about film and taught me about film and introduced me to other Detroit area filmmakers. Um, my teachers, Jeff Prusak and Jeff Bloomer, they really showed me that it was possible to make films as a kid, um, you know, 30 whatever years ago uh, when that seemed impossible. And, um, you know, once I got to Pixar, Joe Ramft was a huge uh, mentor of mine in, from a leadership point of view. He really showed me how to be vulnerable as a leader. And then Corey Ray, my um, filmmaking partner and producer, she really um, showed me from a leadership point of view how to give people what they... <clears throat> need in order for them to succeed and the importance of that. So I've been really lucky to have all, all kinds of uh, 
mentors growing up. When you joined Pixar, you started as a storyboard artist and classic animation storyboards originated with Walt Disney in the 30s. Do you still think that storyboards is still the most powerful way to uh, explore stories? I mean, for me personally, I think it is. I think uh, the great things about storyboards is they're this blueprint for the movie and why wouldn't you want to Why wouldn't you want to drop a blueprint before you start making a building? I mean, it's a wonderful way to see the movie before you've invested um, too much money and time into it. And uh, I, I, I love the storyboarding process. You know, I think it's really crucial for someone like me to want to plan in advance and to have other people explore, to have other story artists add to it. I mean, our story artists at Pixar are writers in their own right. I mean, they're writing gags and they're writing emotional moments and character beats. What is it that makes uh, the storyboards uh, so effective? I think it's because they're, uh, I mean, this sounds negative, but disposable. I think a great storyboard drawings uh, are that they're quick and they give the gesture of the idea, but you don't fall in love with them as, as their own art form, which is hard because a lot of story artists draw beautiful drawings, but I think the importance of storyboards is that they be, um, is, is, is that they be able to be something that you can just get rid of and move on from and throw out and start over again. And most story artists, no matter how beautiful their drawings are, have gotten used to the idea that they're going to be throwing them out and creating new drawings. So they're, they're pretty thick skinned. And I think that's really critical. In, uh, in making a good story is being able to throw out that work and start again. I'd like to ask you about the, the origins and genesis of Onward. Uh, I understand that it is a very personal story for you. Uh, after Monsters University, Corey, Ray, and I, who made that film together, uh, got an opportunity to do something um, to develop our own idea. And we wanted to do something uh, personal. That was a goal and, uh, and hopefully something funny and emotional. So we looked at our own lives and the, you know, my father passed away when my brother and I were both uh, toddlers, basically. I was one, my brother was three. And um, the question of who he was, was always a big part of our life and how we were going to be like him. And so Corey was really supportive of that idea. And, she also connected to it, you know, just this concept of having someone in your life who goes above and beyond to help you become who you are today, uh, you know, was something that she had with her own sister. And we started to realize other people had someone in their life or were someone in someone else's life who went above and beyond. And then it was the trick of taking that small emotional story and trying to blow it up into a, a bigger physical adventure. Um, Uh, but I think the, again, the important thing for us was that it come from somewhere uh, uh, personal and emotional. What are the principal influences for uh, Onward, both thematically and in terms of visual style? Well, I think the, the fantasy part of the film came out of this 
uh, was obviously a big, important visual quality of the film. And it came out of the idea of literally, how would you have your father come back for a day? And, and magic came up early on. And that's really the only reason why it's a fantasy adventure. Um, and, uh, but I didn't want it to feel uh, like it was a story that took place long ago. It was such a personal modern story. So that's how it became a modern fantasy adventure. So then uh, the look of the film, to me, you know, I love, when I see a film, I love to laugh and cry. So we wanted it to be a comedy. We wanted it to look, um, we wanted the characters to be something that would be fun for the animators to animate. In other words, a lot of fantasy films are usually pretty serious and the characters are very realistic. And I wanted to make sure that um, we were keeping them cartoony and fun and that the first impression of the film be uh, that it's a comedy, not a parody of fantasy, but a comical fantasy. And but still have a look and style to the film that is grounded. Um, and that is its own real world because we're going to have real emotions. And I think that's something that's always fun to see in animated films is that line between can these characters be comic and broad, but also real enough to believe they have emotions and feelings. How did you come to cast Howland and Pratt for the two brothers? We write the characters for a while and design them before we really give great thought behind who could play them. But Ian ha had to be someone who was not confident um, and awkward, uh, and and but that could also be incredibly sincere when he's thinking about his dad and, and that type of thing. Someone who was um, uh, had that sincerity and that comedy and their awkward behavior. And so Tom uh, is really great from a comic point of view of being a stammering, you know, kind of uncomfortable, awkward kid in a way that I think we all <laughs> can connect to. And, um, <clears throat> and then obviously he's a phenomenal actor who has really rich um, emotion and you really root for him. And he sounds like he's 16. Um, so, we cast Tom first and then that helped us determine who we would play off of him. And then Chris Pratt in hindsight seems so obvious because Barley had to be chaotic and wild, but again, in a way that is charming and funny to watch and Chris Pratt, he's so lovable even when he's being kind of uh, annoying or, or causing trouble. Um, and then he also has that rich sweetness to him and, Chris is a really loving person. And so who wouldn't want, you know, him as their big brother. Um, and then Julia Louis-Dreyfus is really uh, someone who needs to be able to parent both those personalities. You know, Ian is a kid who needs to be pushed out of the nest a little bit. And Barley's a kid who needs to be held back a little bit because he's too wild. So Julia has this sardonic sense of humor that you could really see, and she's tough as hell. So you could see her uh, keeping Barley under control, but then she has this incredible vulnerability and sweetness. So you could see her being really loving to Ian. Um, and that's how we found the, that family dynamic. Besides being a fantasy, there's also elements of a road movie. Can you speak a little bit to that? You know, we've done a lot of road movies and buddy movies at Pixar. Um, I hope 
I personally believe we find different ways to do them so that they feel fresh. Um, a fantasy movie is by its nature often a quest. And so that was another thing that worked out well in this story that was such a journey to learn about one's father and also a journey to get more, uh, to take more risks and challenge yourself and, and bring out your magic. So the combination of the old type of movie and this modern movie felt like a quest road movie matched perfectly. And, and that's why we put the boys in a van. We originally had them walking, <clears throat> but every fantasy movie can do that. Uh, ours being a modern one felt like, oh, they have to have a van and a van that's sort of reminiscent of a horse. Um, uh, I think it's one of the first times Pixar has done like a literal road movie, I think, uh, which had its own complications of how do you shoot a movie when you're oftentimes just two people in a car and how do you make that interesting building enough set to give them runway. I mean, it had its own um, unique challenges, but um, I really love the marriage of a quest and a road picture. Plus road movies are often family related too. You know, you get into all kinds of arguments and, discoveries when you're on the road with your family. So it, it, it felt like a perfect place for these brothers to hash it out. Tell me about the title. It was a tricky movie to title. You know, I think it's a movie like if you look at Up is a hard movie to title too. You know, it's because it's so unique. And um, I think if we had tried to very literally describe the movie, you know, these kids on an adventure with pants, it's really weird. So, um, I believe it was really um, Pixar and Disney's marketing department watching the film. And there's these moments where Barley says, you know, put it in O for onward. And that voice that Barley has where he uses sort of old um, flowery language for modern day things combined with the idea of onward being literally this <clears throat> moving forward, moving past, you know, sadness of having lost dad guilt of never saying goodbye to him um the brother's relationship was never going to move onward unless they had fought and really gotten to know each other so it became a fun way to suggest uh this is going to be an adventurous movie but also it's going to have these motifs of moving forward in, in life there's a lot of gags how did you come up with so many and do you have a favorite one You know, I, I came up with very few of them personally. What was cool about being at Pixar with so many fantasy fans <clears throat> is uh, Kelsey Mann, our head of story, really opened it up to everyone at, on the movie uh, or possibly even at Pixar, I'm not sure, uh, who were fans of fantasy. And they started these lunches where they would meet, look at scenes in the movie and say, where can we put references? <laughs> and it was really helpful for me because like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't as much of a fan at first, so I didn't know those deep cuts, but I, I wanted, you know, people who <laughs> love fantasy to see that. And it was so amazing how people from all different departments in the studio were coming up with these really funny jokes. And then we'd really determine where we wanted them to be so that you could see them, but they're not too distracting and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, it was really fun to be able to turn that over to these funny, witty minds at, at Pixar. Um, I have a lot of, I'm sure, great favorite gags in there. I mean, I love the unicorns just as characters and the idea that 
they're now these everyday things. This thing that was once so special is now so everyday and taken for granted. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that was one of my favorite ones, I think. Onward is full of fantasy tropes like wizards, unicorns, magic staffs, and so on. What creative choices did you make about design and the tone of this fantasy elements in order to give Onward its own unique look? I hope that because uh, Corey and I didn't know a lot about fantasy, that maybe that made for some strange decisions that aren't normal in a fantasy film. I think that's what's kind of fun about choosing a genre you don't know a lot about. Um, but obviously we were putting a twist on a classic. So we did want to have some of those, you know, tropes in there. Um, so finding that line between having tropes with a twist on them and then also doing things that were a little more unique. Um, Noah Kolchek, our uh, uh, production designer, um, he, he really helped ground the movie again <clears throat> and, and, and think about the history of the movie and uh, the world. You know, what was it like in the old days? And then how do we, how do we build on that and retrofit it and, and add to it? You know, how would it have been changed over the years as technology um, went on and on? Uh, but again, I think really it was just finding a tone between a, a comic style and yet uh, believable enough to think that this is a real, a real world, you know. Rich Rigor in Physia! Hey, you can do this. Tell me a little bit about the color. Sharon Callahan, who, uh, you know, is a beautiful uh, painter, you know, paints beautifully. And, um, you know, she was our, <clears throat> our DP and in charge of, you know, lighting and color. She and I both love naturalistic painting. But in this film, we wanted to challenge ourselves to do more theatrical lighting, uh, which was something new to us. So we looked at <clears throat> fantasy paintings and the fun of fantasy paintings is sometimes they're really they can be very over the top in their contrast and in their color and so we really tried to make sure we were always getting a nice warm cool uh <clears throat> combination in all of our shots so that they felt uh they felt like they had this bright uh you know magical fantastical exaggerated color quality and yet still live in our reality. And then, um, and then where we could, we tried to give little hints, 
using color and and um, set design to things that tend to happen in fantasy movies. Like for example, in a fantasy film, there's also almost always a moment where someone gets stuck and it's often in like a swamp. Um, <clears throat> so we have the brothers car breaking down and just to give that feeling, we made sure the lighting was very green and that we felt stuck in this sort of wet area. And it's nothing anyone will ever necessarily notice or recognize right away. It's really just how the film feels from a color point of view and from a tone point of view. Why did you reserve the color purple for that? That was one of the things Sharon and I talked about early is I, I knew that uh, the movie would end with or climax with um, the sun going down and dad vanishing. And so I thought, oh, that would probably lead to a very purple sky, uh, that magic hour purple that happens after a sun goes down. And so just visually, I was thinking, okay, then that will be his color because that's him saying goodbye. He'll go into the sky and everything will be purple. So then we worked backwards and made his socks purple and only used purple when you know, dealing with him and actually kept it out of the rest of the movie um, so that that sky would have this emotional impact of being his color. What is your favorite sequence in the movie? It is that sequence for me because um, from the very beginning, I really wanted to make the movie as a thank you to the people in our lives that go a little extra to um, help us become who we are. And in my case, that was my brother. <clears throat> Obviously my mom was so incredibly supportive, but my brother um, emotionally acted like a parent more than a brother. And, um, and it was something I didn't realize until developing the film. And uh, he was, his love was very unconditional and very, he was very proud. You know, when, when Barley finds out that he can't do magic, but Ian can, Barley doesn't get jealous, he gets proud. You know, most siblings would get jealous. And that was my brother in every way. So the most important thing for me was that, that ending and that people walk away and say, oh my gosh, I'm gonna call my sister or my brother or my teacher who works, who did so much more than they needed to to help me become who I was. Um, and then I just love the, that kind of the last five, 15 minutes of that climax leading up to that, but, the dragon high school battle. Um, what I like about it is everyone on the film and every department got their uh, curtain call, you know, sets had to build these amazing sets and animation did this amazing animation and effects, you know, it was like, a, which I think is fun when a movie has their, their grand finale that everyone come in for one big uh, sequence together. If you were to write a letter to your younger self, what would you say to him? You know, I think I would probably say something similar to the stuff that Barley says to Ian, you know, trust your gut, um, take risks. Um, uh, don't be afraid to take the road that's a little scary. Um, you know, uh, to... to to believe in yourself. I mean, that type of thing. I, luckily I had my mom and my brother around telling me those things, but um, I think I just would have further reassured myself that it's okay to, um, 
to challenge myself and to, to try to do what I want with my life. If you were to host a dinner party for artists and filmmakers who have influenced you, who would be sitting around the table? Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of people, obviously. And, <laughs> and um, I think that uh, uh, it would be a big table. Um, Jim, Jim Henson, as I mentioned, you know, from the, the Muppet show, I loved that as a kid. And what I loved about the Muppets was they showed kids that it's okay to want to put on a show and to want to be in the spotlight, frankly. And I think that sometimes we say that that's like something that's um, egotistical, but the Muppets didn't, they really wanted to make people happy. And I really fell in love with the idea of wanting to tell stories from an animation point of view, you know, Chuck Jones, and Ardman animation and Pixar when I was younger. At the time, Ardman and Pixar were doing short films. And I really fell in love with the, the small stories they were doing and the very character-driven stuff, uh, rather than the big flashy films that other people were doing. From a comedy point of view, uh, I loved the kids in the hall growing up. So all five kids in the hall would have to be there. Uh, sketch comedy, really learning that comedy can be subversive and, and a little dark. Um, in the, to that same point, I love uh, <laughs> Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Um, they really kind of show that comedy can be both smart and dumb <laughs> at the same time, which I think is a really great mix. And, um, you know, I love Christopher Guest. He does that very subtle humor. Um, and, and again, my mom, my mom would be there because my mom really uh, told stories and she found the humor in bad stuff. Like when a, when something bad would happen, my mom always told the story of it in such a funny way. And, you know, that is what humor is. It's usually these terrible things that happen. And she, she never, she never dwelled on or complained about it. She turned it into a hilarious story of whatever tragedy had happened at the you know, at her work or the grocery store, whatever, always had us roaring with laughter. Can you give us some words of advice and some words of encouragement for young filmmakers out there who dream of becoming directors and animators? It's a really, I think, a really great time for young kids because uh, it's easier to get access to some sort of camera or phone um, there, the internet is out there. So there's platforms to get your, your stuff looked at. And also I think from a comedy and, and storytelling point of view stories, and there's a lot of people doing things that are very short. I mean, seconds long. <clears throat> and so I think when you're younger, you want to just do as many stories as you can. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, practice, try things. Um, so you can do a lot of little short things and just practice telling stories or try to make people laugh with your video or try to make people cry with your video. And then there's a, there's a platform for it. So um, I, I think when you're young, it's quantity over quality. You want to be practicing things and finding your voice and watching movies and then just stick to it and see what, try things and see what you like. Can you tell us anything about what is next for you? I mean, we're in the early days of development. Uh, Corey Ray, my uh, filmmaking partner, and I are going to are working together again, and we're just trying to think about life again and try to think about something 
that people go through that we're scared of uh, that we can then tell in a funny way. And so we're having fun uh, digging into all that again. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. It was great seeing you again. And thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It would be amazing if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the View Conference on all social media. We have some amazing sessions coming up and we hope to see you all there.